0: Hey, Christy.
1: Hi, how you doing?
0: I'm fantastic. Yourself?
1: I'm good. It's Friday.
0: Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness. I am so excited. (laughs) I
1: am, too. I've been looking forward to the weekends more and more this past two months. So, yes, Mm. it's okay. I see your Seahawks hat.
0: I am not a Seahawks fan. I am just cold. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh okay do you have a team that you it's your um, team
0: i'm buffalo bills
1: oh god bless you
0: i know <laughs>
1: hey look i live in chicago that's all i can say
0: yep i know okay. i feel that I struggle
1: <laughs> so so
0: are you originally from okay. yeah born
1: and raised in chicago Mm. Um, I live in the south suburbs of Chicago now, but yeah, born and raised, went to school at Northwestern, so not that far from the city. Hi, Nick.
2: Hey,
3: good morning. Hey, Mike. What's nice up? To meet you, Christy.
1: Nice to meet
3: you. And what was supposed to just be an exploratory chat to see what we could potentially talk about on a future NAPCAST. Turned into a thought provoking session that Nick and I didn't think would happen on this Friday morning. In this episode, we chat with Christy Norwood, pronouns she, her, a phenomenal Black ECE leader, pioneer, advocate, and overall joy to be around. As she just shared, Christy is operating on the traditional lands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Potawatomi, the Odawa, and the Ojibwe Nations, known presently as the Windy City, aka Chi Town, aka Chicago. While many things were shared during our brief 30-minute chat, we decided to share a specific portion of our conversation around Reggio, ECE, and white supremacy. From there, Nick and I share our thoughts and reflections on a multitude of things that stemmed from our short time with Christy, mostly surrounding our thoughts on race and ECE. Alright y'all, so everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there, yet... We are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full-time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine-tune your skills and grow more in-depth? That's where we come in. These napcasts are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, (laughs) heck, even agree with us, but honestly remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up?
0: All right, now, good, let's get it.
1: So, um, Christy Norwood, Um, I am a lot of things. (laughs) But I guess the way that you guys know me is I've worked with Margie for years. Um, I actually um, have visited Hilltop um, and spent a week there in classrooms observing and giving feedback and working with teachers. Um, That was a really, really great experience uh, for me. Um, I am currently the education manager for a head start and early head start grantee in the city of Chicago, so I manage the education services for um, our children who range from six weeks to five years of age across um the city of Chicago, northern and southern suburbs. so um, I'm also um, a big sports fan, I'm a mom. I have two children. Our daughter is 20, God. And a junior in college and our son is 17 and a junior in high school. Um and I'm married. So my family is James, James and Hannah. <laughs> and then me, Christy. Um so yep, that's a little bit about me. <laughs>
0: So when Nick was here, uh, I think you left us what eighteen months ago, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, just a little bit under that. So it was the start of the pandemic, and uh, we were like, you know, let's just do this short little podcast series. And we were only thinking like five, six, seven episodes, and here we are, uh, almost forty episodes later. Wow. And um, it's just, it's pretty dope just getting to, A, I got to learn him a lot better. Um, you know, our, our relationship has grown tremendously. Um, just getting to sit back and chat and, and hear from two males. And uh, male educators of color, which is an anomaly, I feel like. Um, they're out there, but they're just kind of hiding underneath a rock. Um, mm-hmm. Now I don't know about you, Nick, but I feel just a lot more grounded because of, of the work that we do. And, and I give it up to you a lot. Just challenging me, pushing me to think differently because, you know, I come from the Caribbean. I sometimes come in and I'm like, yo, it's gonna look like this, it's gonna do like this, and we're gonna be like this. Um, So asking me to be a little bit more vulnerable, I I really do appreciate
2: that. Yeah, likewise. um, I mean, I echo everything that you just said. And, uh, you know, and and it's interesting if we were to have more time or if it would look like we would have more time what how many more episodes would we be into <laughs> you know so um and we've been getting a lot of good good responses with our with our napcast and um yeah it's uh i feel like yeah i feel more grounded i feel like i have a good uh you know because i think the idea of social justice education and anti-racist and bias teaching is um it could be so big and, and like, I, uh, and I think with that, I have a, a better sense of a trajectory of what, what it means to me and, and what it means to other people and how I can meld and weave the two, two things together. And, uh, and like Mike said earlier, like all for the children and, and really for the betterment of the world, you know, mm-hmm. um, and especially in light of, uh, a lot of our recent, recent things in this nation. Which again, going back to my childhood feels oddly nostalgic of what we're in now. Cause I, again, I grew up in LA in the nineties, which a lot of the, you know, a lot of the same social stress are still happening. And so if I'm now a part of an institution of education and specifically early education, um, what can I do to break the, uh, the cycle of that being perpetuated? Is I, uh, one thing I always say in, and I mentioned in the appcast several times you know it's not that history repeats itself it's that the institutions allow the same cycles to keep going and so if me and mike are doing something like this how can we put our uh our skin in the game to like you know stop uh, you know helping disrupt these things and sometimes that happens like mike was saying at like specifically at hilltop sometimes that happens just within your own microcosm and then you can start extrapolating that bigger and bigger. And I think
4: that's what NAPCAPS has allowed us to do, is to step out of our microcosm a little bit and ex- expand on that. So
0: we, we all have Reggio experience and backgrounds. And when Margie said um, that you, you wrote and done some work around thinking around uh, is Reggio supporting white supremacy i was like yo this is this is a topic that i would love to talk more about <laughs> um so i guess do you just have initial thoughts or just kind of like a soft entry for us
1: um my experience with reggio was um you know reggio Emilia, italy the area have you all ever been there very homogenous area during during the time when when regio um when the regio approach was exposed to the state very homogenous like upper middle class to upper class white white people um and there was no diversity at all and so to come into the States and and just think about like the cultural context, this, these families fought for this type of education approach. um, And because these families fought for it, there weren't a lot of regulations around it because they proceeded the regulations. Does that make any sense? So they're kind of like, this is our model get in line. Okay. So it comes to the states, and one of the first areas is the MELC, the Model Early Learning Center, right, which was in the Children's Museum in D.C., and there was some diversity there, right? Right away, we start having issues with implementing Reggio, um, and not issues like this is not um appropriate for young children this is not appropriate for staff this is not good right but issues around how do we negotiate this compliance and what you're saying i i can't have open spaces we gotta have walls here Um, we can't do certain things and the response from reggio was always we don't know what to tell you we don't have to deal with that right I remember going to national regio conferences because Chicago Commons started publishing and started speaking early on in the city of Chicago. um, Model Early Learning Center had closed. And so we were the only program that was exploring these thoughts and principles and this approach with um, children of color. Black and brown children across the city, as well as staff and in these communities, and we would be the only people of color there. So I remember speaking at the National uh, Reggio Amelia Alliance Conference in Santa Monica.
4: And
1: um, Nick, were you at that? Were you at that conference in Santa Monica? You remember? Okay. I remember this is when one of the schools we toured was the school that uh, Jennifer Aniston and Ben Affleck's children were attending, right? All of these big, huge open spaces and they're talking about all of these things that they can do. And I remember meeting with our staff and we're trying to figure out how we can provide um, outdoor experiences and things that would mimic that in areas where we can't be why open all of the time because violence and all of this stuff and so all of those things we had to negotiate and I remember speaking to a room had to be about 200 people and the only people of color that were there were the people that came with us from Chicago Commons and I remember feeling a great amount of responsibility to make sure that I portrayed our children as they are because this was the only time that they were going to have the stage that is the experience of reggio well fast forward and they have now reggio amelia is not as homogeneous right because they have this they've had this influx of <clears throat> people from africa <clears throat> and other areas that have started to move in And now the things that they were like, we don't know what to tell you, now they're struggling to try um, and and figure out. Um, So I think that that was my thing with Reggio, um,
4: that the structure is rooted in a white perspective. And that how do we
1: like my grandmother would have said, you know, how do we eat the fish and throw away the bones? Because everything is, is not applicable. And how do we call attention to this so that um, we, can, we can be better? And the approach itself can include more than just that one historical perspective. Because it's not just in that area. It would be different if, it, you know, the approach was in that area, but it's all over the world. And so we we got to find a way to make sure that we're elevating um, the voices of, of people of color in early childhood, period. Right. I, I just, you know, I got to think about that. Like. Right? Um, people of color are the workforce and they are not the management force.
4: Um, and Reggio is no different.
0: I love that last piece. I might have to steal it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I often wonder and, and think about just what is the impact that this Reggio philosophy is giving to our children
4: of color Um when and, and I know
0: Nick and I have gone back and forth on just the concept of, of rough and tumble play, where it's it's great, I see all the benefits, and I wonder about what's the, the lasting effect if you can tell a white child that they can push, they can um, grab, they can wrestle, they can do that, um, and then they see that happening when they put someone's, when, a, when an officer puts their knee on someone's neck. Right? Mm-hmm. Are they drawing back to those instances, and are they drawing back to those experiences mm-hmm. because there's no one there mm-hmm. who went and said, "Hey, that's fine in this area, fine in this context," and you ask for permission, you ask for, um, "Can I? Can we engage in this?" Right? Uh, consent is what I'm trying to say.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But was that void, and now we're seeing all of these manifestations years later.
4: Mm. You know, um,
2: I, I think that, I think that's a good mm-hmm. point, Mike. And I, you know, I think sometimes though, we can't jump the gun to just go from that to, to that. And I think that there's a lot of, um, gray in between of what we as the educators have to, to, to manage and what we have to challenge.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, oftentimes, Mike, you know, we, uh, you and I have gone back and forth debating about, my, like, damn, you know, people of color have to white people and whatnot, and, and, and especially explaining what it means when Google is at their fingertips. Like, you can do a quick Google search and figure out what decolonizing education means. I don't have to come over and explain it to you. Because when I do have to do it, you're mining my time. You're mining my energy. You're fracking my soul, <laughs> you know, into a degree. But but at the same time, like I've said, Mike, is. If we take the idea of, you know, do you do you give someone a fish or do you teach them how to fish, but you also have to teach them how to use the rod and what happens when the rod gets snared, when it gets tangled, when you need to change out a lure. And and I think that's where uh historically Reggio Amelia has fallen short. Because I think in some ways, on one side, Reggio Amelia actually challenged uh, ideals and principles of white supremacy because they DIYed mm-hmm. it because they were established for fight, uh, fighting against fascism, but mm-hmm. of course this was a homogenous group of people that did it that mm-hmm. are primarily white because that mm-hmm. part of Italy is primarily white. It's not mm-hmm. southern Italy, it's not Sicily,
4: mm-hmm. and
2: um, and at the same time though they you know just as most of us do I mean, we've all seen veteran teachers that just get stuck in their way. Right, and this is what works for me. So then they then re perpetuate the, that white those white supremacy sort of standards and, and values. Um, and and I think oftentimes teachers of color in schools of color communities of color re perpetuate and recycle standards of white supremacy because mm-hmm. we're not actively challenging um, what is being told to us. And mm-hmm. so I think like when. When educators and communities of color do embrace something like a one of these pedagogies, we have to think about, well, what is it that I want to push it against about it and make it, you know, um, still a part of uh, what I find valuable. And, you know, going back to like what Mike was saying earlier about Hilltop's earlier days, Hilltop, when I was there, uh, was doing a lot of those things i think in a lot of ways was challenging white supremacy standards mm-hmm. but you know it's, it's it's hard to see that when it's a bunch of white people doing it and mm-hmm. not so many um but because we there was still that uh essence and ethos of being DIY doing it ourselves we're going to make our own standards for our community but then we have to think about well what is our community and so then you know there's always these cycles that i think we have to just sort of identify and um, and put, uh, you know, put in a stop measure at a certain point and then reassess what that is, like what that mm-hmm. is. And I think that's what this, uh, this current iteration of Philpop is doing is mm-hmm. like putting in the stop measure, reassessing what it is. And at the same time, truth be told though, could be re-perpetuating white supremacy standards because of having to go aligned with SPPE, you know, and, and going and having to conform to state standards you know, and not challenging those. Um, and because I don't think a lot of the state standards and regulations are are uh, conducive for communities of color.
4: Mm-hmm. And so
2: when we just keep bending over and taking it from the state like that, then we just end up re-perpetuating it. And at what point do we put our foot down like, nope, I'm not going to do this because this is what it means for my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I'm going through right now. <clears throat> in my current early learning community where there is this fear of the state, right? Because if we lose funding, we lose our program, the community loses out. Mm
4: -hmm. But at
2: the same time, we want to talk about, you know, diversity, equity,
4: inclusion,
2: but yet, You know, so, you know, it's, I think it all comes down to having that, uh, A little bit of a brave space to just again like I said put your foot down like nope
4: and and but being able to speak to it I think um yeah
1: I it's a lot of conversation to have I got another meeting at 12 (laughs) my time um that I, I have to log on for I can't be late um I will say this that um we need a collective in, in early childhood, um, at, um, we need a, uh, a collective that comes together to help advocate for these things. Mm. Um, we have a lot of the last article that I just wrote for childcare exchange. I kind of like talk about some steps That we can take going forward. And one of them is we got so many different organizations that have so many members and they're competing. In, in interest. You know, I want to have this many members. I want to have that many members. How powerful would it be if we came together and lobbied for these things? Um, and until we're able to do that, they just, you know, they just keep dividing and conquering. You know, as a one program in the state, yeah, the state can take your funding, but the state is not going to take everybody's funding in the state.
4: Sure because
1: be right. then the state loses out that 10% admin that they're going to get and that's millions of dollars for them so they're not going to do that but one program is not going to be able to move the policy needle See, we got practice and we have policy we got to learn how to do both in early childhood and we haven't
4: mastered that yet
0: we'll be right back hey it's mike You know, the guy you spent a good 20 minutes just listening to. Nick and I love doing these. But do you know what's more fun? Doing these in person. And that's exactly what we've started to do. We've hit the road. Well, kind of, sort of. Because, you know, (laughs) COVID's still a thing. But we are now doing these workshops with organizations.
3: Being featured at conferences. And having these conversations with college students, high schoolers, and middle schoolers. And we'd love to come hang out with you next. If you want to bring us, you already know what to do. And
4: that's drop us an email. That was fun. Now I remember her when she took off her glasses Then I, I like,
0: oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I think I've met her. I've been uh, in a couple of different meetings with her, and then as soon as she took it off, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Like, but then oh, I didn't want to be like, "Oh, now I remember." Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. Uh, what I wanted to say is, I think what we're doing, what we just talked about in the first twenty minutes, was critical race theory, where yeah. we're critically thinking about how race implements in in affects all these different systems it's not this indoctrination of and, and making little racist it's like hey use your critical thought use your I don't want to say god-given ability
4: but use the thing that you were born with your mind yeah well
2: yeah man and I think well that's the thing is um you know no one really has an understanding of these things that it like so it's so easy to just take this it's like a big ball of yarn, right? And instead of trying to latch onto um, like the main thread of it, people are pulling at all the little hairs of it and be like, "Well, this is where it's weak. This is where it's all that, right?" Because there's all these little frays. Um, and I mean, that's just historically the problem of the United States talking about race, and and that's hard because we're not a homogenous country, you know. Like, and <laughs> and we're a young country. That has grown up like, uh, like many, I mean, like people like spanning from your age to my age, like, you know, like the internet in the, in technology has grown with us, just as like all these, uh, all the reconciling of our, our social stripes as a nation has grown with the country. And so we're still like, it's all these growing pains while we're trying to adjust all the time. And I think it's, it's inconvenient for people to think about. And also, I think, you know, a lot of people aren't using, and the people that are trying to teach critical race theory or these sort of concepts that we're talking about, they go too buck wild with it. And mm-hmm. I do think that they, you know, are, are there are um, instances of like creating a framework that are shaming white people, and that's not going to be helpful mm-hmm. at all, especially if they're still the dominant, like culture. You're good that's not a way to you know, you don't want to poke the bear sort of thing. But more of like you want to get the bear to be on your side and realize that they shouldn't like consume you. Where's that phone coming from?
4: <laughs>
2: but uh so yeah, it's uh I don't know, it's it's really interesting. I've had some conversations in the past few days about this. So that's why I'm like just kinda of fired up. And one thing that we've, we've sort of touched on is that our perspective as, as, like indigenous people, whether that being like, you know, like Latino or, or North, uh, or United States indigenous, like because we are further from the, you know, in, in, on the spectrum of color and we're further from black. Um, while a lot of our struggles and fights are the same, the way we're treated obviously is going to be different. And so the way we see the world is going to be not the same. And as much as I, and I was thinking as, as this, and as I was talking with you all, I'm like, man, I hope I don't sound like I'm being anti-black, you know, that it's more of, I can only speak to the perspective in which I present. Um But, you know, I'm in the canoe with you <laughs> paddling in the same direction. And, um, but, you know, like, yeah, so there's always this, like, self-reflective voice going on, like, you got to speak your truth and also
4: consider how it sounds.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think the, when you were speaking about how do we call white people out to call them in, I think part of that is... Or what I like get upset about is is when I try to get when they try to tone police And then mm. like it, like you're being t- you sound too angry exactly kind of exactly okay. or or how you're saying it is is too divisive uh, or or whatever the the rationale behind it and I think a lot of times we they conflate that tone. Um well just beca- they they think just because I'm gonna change my tone means I'm going to somehow make it more plausible for them or or easier to digest. And I think that's where I think that's where <laughs> I mostly butt heads. Because I can I can absolutely deliver it to you in a different way so that it it hits differently for you. However, I don't want you to think that I'm suddenly going to change
4: the message behind it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, one thing I've been thinking
2: on is because there are, you know, there is this spectrum of color and the way that race and class and sort of, I mean, just overall empathy plays into that. If, you know, you got white people on this one end, you've got black people on this one end, and and one has historically like oppressed the other and has given people in between the sort of like a little bit of oppression here and there, but also like, you know, um, stealing our souls more or less. Or, um, I think for myself, it's like, I have me, me specifically individually and personally, I see myself as that buffer between the black and, and white and being like, Hey, this is what I hear white people because I here's what I hear white people saying. Here's what I hear my black brothers and sisters saying. Like, and we got to figure out a way to weave it together, you know. Um, not to say that they can't. Obviously, people can communicate together um, and get along. But I think sometimes you you need that uh that third voice, right, or third or fourth voice, or that third or fourth color, or whatever you want to call it. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. then you get into these things that I think you're sort of describing, and then it becomes that thing that, like, you know, I've kind of been throwing around, you know, fighting fire with gasoline or fighting fire with fire. And we all want to see us progress, I think, even, I think even some of the most, I don't know, I would, I'm hopeful that even some of the most racist white people want to move past that, (laughs) but... It They become so stuck in that singularity way of thinking. I don't know. I've had a lot.
0: I've had a lot of, I, a lot of <laughs> I, uh, I'm I'm always thinking about, or or how do I communicate the message of, like, hey, I'm trying to dismantle white supremacy. Because, like, we we're, we're it's going to be better for the economy. It's going to be better for our lives. And I just feel like some people just get so stuck on the fact that the the usage of the language white supremacy, right? And they they conjure up right. all of those those uh, individual feelings or thoughts or whatever the media is saying or wherever they're consuming like this information, and then they get stuck and pigeonholed on that rather than hey, l- listen to what I'm trying to say because you know. I I I just want to fair shake, right? I am just trying to catch up at this point, right? I just want to go to the store and, and not be afraid. How is uh
4: how's that a threat to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's uh Yeah, it's interesting like again like being being
2: here where I feel like I'm kind of still playing like the intermediary role where it's like, I get what you're saying. And at the same
4: time,
2: like everybody needs to just learn to take each other's perspective. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And it's hard. Uh, and I think, you know, and again, uh, I, I don't know what it is, man. It's like, it, it, I think it's a just form of trauma. It's trauma, like empathetic trauma in a sense where, and
4: mm.
2: that social trauma where, and i and I and I see it with communities of color where they don't wanna have empathy for white people, you know I mean I don't blame them and I get it, but at the same time, that's not gonna get us anywhere, and it yeah, and I guess that's where I start assuming, in like when I say that and i and I hear myself say that out loud, that's where I you know come back to like, okay, maybe this is my role as that that intermediary between
4: not just. Race and uh, and color, but the, the thoughts that come with it, mm. and
2: yeah, I don't know. I've, I've had so many of these these thoughts recently.
4: This my mind is like on fire, and just sort of like, and it's been like it's been really uh,
2: an enlightening and like healing. Like with the tattooing process, a lot of this has been coming up. Because, you know, I'm getting poked and hit, and like it's painful. It's a slow, just pain. It's like a bee sting each time over like five hours, just being stung by a bee. And you keep going back. And I keep going back for more. And because I'm, there's, I don't know, there's something that's like, there's something healing about it. And and especially talking with him about it has been, um, or talking about all these things has been like, yeah, giving me more clarity, and I think it's that like that pain and having to sit with it and just breathe. It's very meditative. Um,
4: yeah, I, yeah and, and I commend
0: you for that because when when we go through this journey, um, not a lot of people want to sit in that pain. Not a lot of people want to be you know, in in discomfort um, because it takes more than I think it. it tra- It's more than just physical pain. I think there's a spiritual component to it. I think it's a mental component because you got to be able to sit there and and get poked over and over and over again and know that you've invested time, money, energy into this. And I think about how that parallels with so many other different things in life, how you've been taught this one way and then suddenly we're going to poke you and say, hey, maybe capitalism isn't the as great as we thought but we all was just swimming in the water we never used components of critical race theory to think about how this actually affects different people different lifestyles and how it might affect you one day because you're not immune to it regardless of your skin color you're not immune to the perils of capitalism but because we don't ever have a chance to think about that or build up our skills to be reflective um as soon as we get that little bit of poke we, we flee. We don't fight back, you know, that fight versus flight.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think just that little bit you said, that's that whole, the misfirings of, uh, the, this critical race theory stuff, right? Like we're not, if we were to emphasize just reflecting about how history and race has influenced, uh, within the institutions that we live in and how people have been marginalized with that we can start self-reflecting, right? And then we and take those little pokes every now and then.
0: I think that's, yeah. I know we got another napcast coming up on this (laughs) about the power of why and like how you like to ask why five times. I think about how I try to bring this theory um, into into my everyday life is through that kind of why, why are we doing this? that questioning? Not because I don't necessarily, all the children are about to walk by. <laughs> uh, not questioning because I don't like, believe what we're doing, but I want us to really think critically around that. <laughs> hi children.
4: <laughs> hi,
0: friends. You wanna say hi to my friend?
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought I said to I I don't know who it belongs to. Never <laughs> not <off> of me. <laughs> <I'm> not <sure. laughs> okay, <sure> I don't know who I belongs to. Okay, you last. that kid? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Thanks, friends. I, um, he's a, he's part of, that's our SPP brother. And, um,
4: he's He's like a
2: charismatic little guy. Yeah.
4: (laughs) We were playing mirror with each other.
0: (laughs) I was also in the coffee shop. Uh, the other day, and I saw this cute girl. So I sat down next to her, and I actually recorded the map cast, so I gotta send that to you. With her? Yeah, she was doing math. And I was like, turns out she was a
4: professor, so... Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, um... I know you don't know much about
2: uh, Nahan, the tattoo guy, but if you have, like, any questions that come to your mind, like two or three of them, send them to me, and then I'll ask them as I'm uh getting a oh,
4: Definitely. Oh. Um Okay, I'll let you go then. All right. Love you, Mike. Alright. Take care. Bye. Bye.